Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. The presence of God. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In this manner, he taught them to pray. Therefore, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where's the Father? Where's the Father? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Everyone say will. Your will, your intent, your purpose, your plan be done. Where? On earth. Your will, your purpose, your plan, your intent, that's what will is. This is the will of the Father. The will of the Father. God's will be done on earth. Your will, your purpose, your intent, your plan be done, be accomplished, be fulfilled. Be manifested, be assigned, whatever word you want to give it. Be done on earth, on earth, here, right? Am I seeing that correctly? On earth. Jesus obviously had a a strong interest in heaven invading earth. In heaven's realities becoming a reality on earth. Now, that tells us that there needs to be a conversion that takes place. A transformation, if you will. That tells us that heaven is not automatically operating on the earth unless you and I pray that his will, his intent, his purpose, his plan be done, be fulfilled on earth, be accomplished, be manifested on earth. Jesus is saying, this is what you need to pray for. I don't need to pray for something that he's going to do anyways. And I don't need to pray for something if that's the case that it's already in. But we don't have heaven on earth. We lost heaven on earth in the garden when man sinned. That's why you know, you, you, you lost much more than just dying and going to heaven. We lost the capacity to bring heaven. That there's obviously an interest here that heaven's realities should become earth's realities. Now, the earth is not in a state of heaven on earth, is it? It's the opposite. It's hell on earth. 
And apparently it was so in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Can I just cover this? Can I just go ahead and get this out as a generality that there is no state of wickedness, sinfulness, depravity, destruction that this earth will ever be in that will be beyond the power of God's kingdom and the church to transform it. Can we just go ahead and cover that? I know the last two years have been a little rough for people and maybe a little rough for the church, but, but in the book of Acts, heads were rolling. People were being crucified. People were being thrown in jails left and right for preaching the gospel, told not to preach the gospel. They do a miracle and they get threatened with their life. How'd you like to raise up someone else and then they want to take your life? Let me just go ahead and cover. There's no amount of crisis that this earth will ever endure that will be beyond the capacity of the church to bring heaven and transform it. So let's just go ahead and get our heads out of the sand now. and Let's just go ahead and change our perspective now. And let's get an outlook for heaven on earth, for the church, and for this planet going forward. Let's stop talking about how bad it is and what's been shut down and what's been let go and where the values are, where immorality is and, and, and all the sickness. We know, we're, we're very well aware of how broken society is right now. It's still never going to be a match for God's kingdom. Understand that. It will never be a match. The devil will never get to a point of wickedness and a point of just ultimate depravity that's like, wow, it's beyond our control. Let's just die and get out of here. It's never going to get that way. You rule and reign from heaven. It's still subjected. Everything is subjected under you. Everything's still sub subjected under him. You are still raised together, seated together, living together with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. You're still there, and there's no amount of crisis, no amount of problem, no amount of, of challenge or issue that this world will ever face. Your finances will never be so bad. Your marriage will never be so far in the dumps. Your kids will never be so far running away from God that it's beyond your capacity as the church to transform any situation you come into contact with. He said, pray, your kingdom come. That's your rule, your way of doing things, your sovereign rule. Let your kingdom come, let your will, your purpose, your intent, your plan be done on earth, here. He's not telling them to pray that they will go there. He's telling them pray that there will come here. Invade, impact, make influence for the kingdom of God. In this realm, this is literally how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Then, not, not only does he tell us to pray that the purpose and plan of heaven and God's original intent, God's purpose in heaven be done here. He gives us a context for what it's supposed to look like in the next words. The next words are not just religious formality, just something that sounds churchy and Christian. They are the context by which we should expect heaven to show up in this realm. The next words say, 
as it is in heaven. That is the context. That is the expectation that we ought to have. That we do not stop until this place looks like that place. As it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Now you go on and read the rest of this verse. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Look at this one in verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation. So that means that there will still be temptation. And the next one. But deliver us from the evil one. Why didn't he just go ahead and deliver us from the evil one? Why are we praying, deliver us? He's letting the evil one still run around, do evil, terrible things, still bring destruction, still bring wickedness, still tempt people to do awful things, and he still expects heaven to come, his will to be done in this realm, on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that this, 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 expectation of bringing heaven to earth still applies even though the evil one is still doing what he's doing. So if we're talking about living in the spirit and life in the spirit, this is our assignment. Because where is heaven? Is heaven a spiritual place or a natural place? Can you physically book a ticket there right now? No? I didn't think so. You're not going to find it on Expedia. You're not going to type in Valdosta, leaving Valdosta and traveling to heaven. Not going to get there. You could try it. I don't know where it'll take you. You might try to get close to what you think heaven is like on this planet. But heaven is a spiritual place. And we have no hope of bringing a spiritual place into the natural, only living out of the natural. This is why a life in the spirit is so fundamental and, and paramount to the life of the believer. And, and it, it, it's, it's a wonder why we don't teach this and we don't integrate this from the moment someone comes into the kingdom. From the, from the moment someone confesses Jesus as Lord, they need to know, okay, now you need to know how to access spiritual things and bring them into a natural realm. Because that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Bring his will and his purpose. Bring heaven here. Bring a spiritual environment into a natural environment. That's literally what he's asking us to do. And you're not going to do this on natural means alone. Everywhere Jesus went, he was bringing heaven to earth. Everywhere Jesus went, he was about the business of seeing the Father's will in heaven be done on earth as it is in heaven, until the two align, until the two, uh, you could put it this way, until the spiritual becomes natural. Miracles were a natural thing to Jesus. That was the natural way of doing things. It wasn't hard to work up and conjure up. It wasn't hard to get there. It, it, it wasn't a difficult thing for him. He lived out of that place naturally. He was more aware of the spiritual than the natural. He was more aware of heaven's environment than the earth's 
environment. And he realized everything I encounter that is out of alignment with heaven has to be brought into alignment with heaven. And I will change every situation I come into contact with. If it's sick, it will be healed. If it's dead, it will live again. If it's chaos, it will be called to peace. He even caused things that were alive to be dead. He even went in reverse order. Everything Jesus came into contact with, he was aligning it with heaven. He was aligning it with what heaven looks like. That's why people flocked to his ministry. It's because they'd never seen heaven on earth like that. Not in that, not, not only in quality, but in quantity. This is how we can be about the Father's business. This is how you and I, the church, can transform what's around us. Everything you come into contact with that is broken from this day forward should never be complained about again. Jesus never complained about what was broken. He transformed what was broken. He changed it. He didn't go to his boss about it. He didn't go home and talk to his spouse about it. Come on. He didn't complain to his father about it. No, he transformed it. If it was out of alignment with heaven's will, heaven's purpose, the father's plan, he was bringing it into alignment. That's constantly what he's doing, was making heaven's reality on earth just as real as what we see around us. And the only reason we wouldn't live there is because we haven't taken the steps to become more aware of what's going on there than what's going on here. We, we, we live so aware of the brokenness and depravity of the natural that it makes us want to leave it to go to a place where we think we just live in mansions and run around on streets of gold. We have created this, this mindset that it is better to leave than to change. It's better to leave this place. I don't remember who, the, who is credited with the quote that said, you don't have the right to leave this planet without it knowing you were here. That's another way of living. God's calling us to a higher way of living. He's calling us to live with this expectation on earth as it is in heaven. In Valdosta as it is in heaven. In my marriage as it is in heaven. In my body as it is in heaven. In my school district as it is in heaven. In this country as it anything that you see that is out of alignment, you put the context as it is in heaven. And it now becomes our rightful responsibility, our duty to bring heaven to earth. That's, that's a high responsibility. You almost wish Jesus didn't teach you to pray after that. Like, oh, wow. I, I thought it was just, God, I'm having a problem paying my car bill. I need some money. Or just telling him what we're worried about or what's going wrong. 
You know, if we did prayer right, we would leave with more responsibility, not less. But most Christians feel that prayer is the only responsibility they have. Okay, I talked to God about it. I cast my cares. Now, if you walk out of the prayer closet and you don't have a list of things to do, we didn't do it right. Because according to this prayer, in response, he's going to give us, here's what you need to do. Here's who you need to talk to. Here's how you need to approach this. This is what you're going to, and, and he's going to involve you in the process. Beyond just praying about it, beyond just getting in a closet, beyond just moaning and groaning and complaining about it, beyond just venting to God and really getting engaged to say, God, how do you want to invade this situation with your presence? How do you want to show up in this environment? How do you want to transform what I'm about to be engaged with? Bosman Rose said that in prayer, the reason why Jesus the, the power behind Jesus' ministry was his prayer life. He spent a lot of time with the Father and spent very little time with people's problems. But we're on the flip side. We spend a lot of time with problems. We spend very little time with the Father. What if we switched that? What if our prayer life was where we got fueled? What if our prayer life was where we heard from heaven? What is your will? What is your purpose? What is your intent? How do you want to engage this? What do you want to do about this? How do you want to transform this? What, 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 what route do you want to go? You know, I, I, I believe that we would hear from God more in prayer if we stopped thinking about how we wanted him to answer our prayers. And I'm not even talking about prayer tonight, but I'm talking about it right now. How many times have we done that? We already have a, a, a preconceived idea of how we want him to answer. And sometimes I think he's just up in heaven just laughing like, whenever you're done, I'll give you the next step whenever you're done trying to formulate the plan on your own. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the next assignment. I'll tell you how we're going to get there. I'll show you the path whenever you're done trying to tell me your path. When you're trying to answer your question for yourself for me. Literally get in, a, in, in, in prayer and literally get with the Father and say, I need heaven's will on this situation. I need your plan. I need your purpose in this problem. God is never intimidated by our problems. That's why he told you to pray. God's never intimidated. There's nothing you can give God that will intimidate him and that will, that will cause him to back off or cause him to, 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 to take a step back and say, I, I, can't, I can't do anything about that. You're never going to impress God with your problem. I think we're impressed with our problems. I think we get impressed. You'll never kill a giant that you're impressed with. You won't. David was not impressed by the size of Goliath. It meant nothing to him. David was not, not impressed. Joshua and Caleb were not impressed by the vastness of the promised land. They were not impressed by the giants. They were not impressed by the fortified cities. They were not impressed by the fact that it swallows up there. And they were not impressed. You'll never take land that you're, in, that you're afraid of. 
You'll never take land that you're impressed by. You got to be impressed by your God. Your God is bigger. Your God is greater. There's no situation or challenge you'll ever face that's ever going to overcome how great and vast and mighty he is. He's done it before. He will do it again. We, we, we go through this. We encourage you. We build you up. And now it's time to walk these things out because our, our lives are remaining futile and fruitless because we're more impressed by the world that we're in rather than the realities of heaven. We don't even know what we have access to. We don't even know what we could be bringing to change the environment that we're in. In the Passion Translation, it reads this way, Matthew chapter 6. Pray like this. Our beloved Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Verse 10 says, manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. That means we don't stop until it looks like heaven. That's what that means. We don't give up until it looks like heaven. That doesn't mean tribulation is going to stop. That doesn't mean the wicked one's going to stop roaming around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't mean trials and tribulations are all of a sudden going to come to a halt. That, this, we're talking about how you respond to those things. Give me a problem, and I bring a heavenly solution to it. Bring me a challenge, and I'll bring heaven to it. Show me how bad it is, and I'll bring heaven into the situation show you how good it can be, how good it should be, how good it ought to be. This is a different way of thinking. This is a different way of living. This is a different way of, of, of having perspective about our lives and just going through the motions, just doing our nine to five, going to bed and doing it all over again the next day and being just as dis disgruntled the next day as we were the day before. This is about waking up and making a difference and, 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 a, and a call to arms, a call to action of bringing heaven to earth, bringing his kingdom realm. His kingdom rule was designed that... that See, everything here on this earth is twisted. Everything here on this earth has been perverted. Everything here on this earth is done backwards. But you can't have a lie until there's truth. Which means that God had a plan before the enemy messed it up. God had a plan for this earth and for his kingdom expanding and coming to this realm and coming to this earth before the devil showed up and lied. The truth was, you are here to rule, you are here to reign. The lie came in and said, did God say? The devil couldn't even show up until God first spoke. Because you can't tell a lie until you have truth. So it's time to get it back to the truth. It's time to get it back to the way it was supposed to be. It's time for God's original intent and plan and purpose to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. That's the context. That's the box it should fit in. We should be able to look at it and say, does it look like heaven yet? No, nope, not yet. Then we need to get it there. We're still working. We're still moving. We're still staying on this thing. And I'm not letting off until I see heaven displayed in this environment. Amen. It's time to push back on darkness. 
Quit letting darkness just run rampant and just and, and, and share it and post it and comment about it and, and, and talk about how off. It's time to push back on darkness. It's time for believers, the church, the kingdom, the legislative assembly of heaven to bring heaven into this place. My God, if the United States had an ambassador in another country and all they did was talk about how awful it is over there and didn't bring the kingdom or the, 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 the environment and the power of the United States backing them into that environment, then they're not a very good ambassador. An ambassador doesn't get overwhelmed and influenced by what's around them. They overwhelm and influence what's around them with what's in them. There's a kingdom backing you. Lay hands on the sick. There's a kingdom backing you. Cast out demons. There's a kingdom backing you. Speak to things that are out of alignment. There's a kingdom backing you. There's a kingdom and a king that are literally standing behind you, say, go in my delegated authority and do my assignment as I have sent you to do. Quit asking God to do something about it when he's already assigned you to do something about it. Go in your authority. Go in your power. When Jesus sent those 70, he didn't have to go with them and be there. He sent them. He said, you're going in my power, and you're going in my authority. And guess what the Great Commission is? It's more than just go and make disciples of all nations. We love that part. But there's a whole laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. There's a casting out of demons. You know what? That still applies today. There's still demonic activity happening in the earth today. It might not look like what you think it might look like, but there's demon-filled people all around you. And the only way they're going to get free is until a kingdom citizen with the power and the authority of heaven shows up on the scene and says, I rebuke you, spirit of. Some of what we call mental issues is a spirit of. And it may not look like the frothing at the mouth and foaming and, and throwing yourself into fires like we see in the Bible, but it's still demonic activity. It's activity that is supported by a, a spiritual realm is of wickedness. And it's still running rampant. And we need kingdom citizens, sons and daughters of the king with power and authority to show up on the scene. Say, that cannot stay. And I'm not debating it. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not fighting you. Jesus never argued or fought with the demon. He just told them to go and they went. This is reality. This ought to be reality. Let me put it that way. This ought to be the reality of every believer that everywhere we go, the kingdom shows up. Heaven invading every realm we come into. Just as it is in heaven. Romans chapter 8. I get fired up with this stuff because... This, you know, sometimes the presentation's everything. How would you like me to talk about destroying the works of the devil and pushing back on darkness in a soft, mild manner as I lull you to sleep? It wouldn't get across, would it? And when they heard Jesus speak, they said, We never heard someone speak like this. He speaks with authority. There's, there's something. When you speak, people should recognize there's something backing them. There's something behind them. 
And Jesus said it. I don't speak on my own initiative. I don't speak on my own authority. I'm not doing this because of who I am. I'm doing this because there's a kingdom backing me up. The kingdom of God is in me, and it goes everywhere I go. And there, there's some jacked up, messed up places on this earth that need you to bring heaven to it. I, I want to see the church answer the call. I want to see the church rise to the challenge. And, and, and no more just rule following and religious rituals like we talked about on Sunday, just looking for the next angel to stir the water so we can get everyone to jump in. I'm talking real stuff. You know what's exciting to me? I was just talking with Matt here before service. These things are happening. Miracles are happening. Do not believe the lie for one second that miracles are done. They've been done away with God's not doing. They are happening all around you. Now, you can be stiff-necked and stubborn just like the Pharisees. They'd see someone get delivered and say, well, nah, that's not the son of God. That's just Joseph's son. That's just a carpenter. And put him to death. But they're happening. Miracles, demons are being cast out all around us. He just gave me a testimony of someone that had been, they actually gave a time of death. And he rose and lived. He just gave me that. That's happening. Dead people are being brought back to life. This is not fairy tales and stories. This isn't for Lazarus and, and, and for, for something that we just read about in the book and sing a few songs and just until we all get to heaven. This is really happening. God is moving in the earth. God is changing people's lives. God is touching. God is healing. God is working. God is delivering. He's still doing what he said I will do. I will bring sight to the blind. I will, I will deliver the captive. He's anointed me to push back on darkness, destroy the works of the enemy. I'm tired of seeing the enemy get more airtime than the kingdom. I'm tired of it. He's not that strong, y'all. He's not that mighty. He, he, he's not, he is not that, that, he's not that, that, that influential. We've got a greater power. We've got a greater authority. We've got all of heaven backing us. And so Romans chapter 8, Paul says, verse 1, New King James, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's the stipulation. That's the requirement. That's, that is the essence of, of who you become. When you confess Jesus as Lord, you, are now, you now have a new identity. You are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You're in him. This is actually how we live now. This is actually our new identity. This is actually how we operate in this earth, in Christ Jesus. And it says Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's not. Y'all know what Christ means? Christ means the anointed one and his anointing, the Messiah, the anointing. We need more preaching on the anointing. We need to know what the anointing is really all about. It was evidently very important in the, in the uh, Old Testament and even in the New Testament. 
anointing wasn't just a little churchy word they threw out. It meant something. It meant the actual empowerment and assistance of heaven upon an individual. In the anointed one and his anointing, Jesus is what that says. And now your identity is in this anointing. You live out of this assistance. You live out of this empowerment. We need to be more aware of the one that is assisting us than the weakness of our humanity. It's a consciousness. There, there's a, there, you, you can live with a sin consciousness. You can live with a righteousness consciousness. And in him consciousness. That just means awareness. You have people that go around, they're born again believers. They're in the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm just a sorry sinner. That's a sin consciousness. You're more aware of your sinful weakness of your flesh nature than you are of the new nature and the new identity. When you, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's anointing, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so I can live with an awareness, with more of an awareness of the natural around me, or I can switch over and get an awareness of the spirit. Get an awareness of who I am now in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's a whole new way of living for you. Verse 5 says this. For those who live according to the flesh. Now, a lot of times when we read these verses, let me just give this quiz, this quick preface here. When we read these verses, a lot of times we think of sin and righteousness. But I want you to know that when we're talking about carnal living or fleshly living or living to the things of the flesh, that does not just apply to sin. We're talking about living to the natural way of doing things according to this world, the way the world would do it. I'm talking about solving problems either the way the world would do it or the way the king would do it. And they might not always be the same. We're not just talking about, you know, it, when you live out of the flesh, you're doing sinful things, you're sleeping around and cussing and drinking and doing all this, you know, all the sinful things that come to mind. We're talking about living according to the way of the world and living according to the way of the kingdom. And so he says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So we see this contrasting and we see this tension between flesh and spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life in peace. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no life like the life in the spirit. There's nothing this world can ever offer you that will come anywhere close to being an equivalent of what the life of the kingdom can offer you. It's, it's not even close. The best the world has to offer doesn't even touch what the kingdom can offer. You want to live a life in the spirit. Trust me, you, you, you don't want to be a born-again believer that is still limited by the resources and the capacities of the earth that's around you. We should be a church that's not limited by anything 
that this world limits us by. We shouldn't be a church that's limited by education, limited by finance, limited by economy, limited by schools, limited by, by governments, limited by, by health care. We should never be stuck, limited to what this world has to offer. Even in the natural things of life, God was, Jesus was not limited. He went and got money out of a fish's mouth. He still took care of a natural need, but with a spiritual resource. You don't go to fish to find money. Not that way. He literally did that. He turned water into wine. He did that. Jesus was never at a point in his ministry where he was limited. Like, ah, I just don't have it. Sorry, guys, I, I'm out. Why? Because he had a greater awareness of the spirit than the. He knew, wait a minute, wait a minute. You gave us authority on this plane over the fishes, see the birds of the air, over everything on the earth. Water is on the earth. And if we need this water to be something different, then we'll just transform it. Wait, there, there, there's not enough food? Nobody brought lunch? Nobody brought dinner? How many people are here? 5,000, not including women and children, probably around 20,000 people. Well, what do you got? Five loaves, perfect, let's do it. Uh, what are you talking about? Hand it out. That's not a, that's not a limitation to him. Are you, seeing, are you seeing what I'm saying? There, there's no restriction there. He's not limited. Jesus was never stuck. Why? Because he lived with a greater awareness of the Spirit than the he lived on this earth knowing how to access heaven and until your will is done on earth as it, you think there's any lack in heaven. You're not going to run out of stuff in heaven. God doesn't run out of stuff. He doesn't get to the bottom of the ketchup things like shaking it like, he doesn't do that. He's got plenty. He doesn't run out. He's never running low. I'm just I'm being real. Real heaven. Because down here, we get stuck a lot. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough cognitive capacity. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough understanding. I don't have enough food. I don't have enough money. How many times do we hear that one? I don't, God never runs out of money. God is not limited by what's in a bank account. God will give you, will specifically give you a vision that's bigger than what's in the bank account. So you rely on his resources, not the earth's resources. He causes all the resource that is needed to come to you. He causes provision to come to the vision. That's how he operates. That's heaven on earth. He's never stuck. How many times do we tell ourselves we're stuck? How many times do we tell ourselves, I can't do that, or I can't do this, or it won't go there, or I don't have enough? That's not how Jesus lived on this planet. It's a way of living. It's, 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 just, it's just a way of doing things. Verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So now we've got a problem because we have this mind 
that wants to think about things according to a natural way, what the world shows us. What this environment tells us is possible. What this environment tells us is impossible. What this environment shows us what can be done. What this environment tells us, well, when it's sick, it's sick. And when it dies, it dies. I mean, not even death was a limitation for Jesus. Not even time was a limitation. How long have you been dead? Four days. All right, let's go. Move the tone. He stinks. He's, he, he, Jesus, he, he's been in there over four days. I mean, you missed it. You missed the boat. You're, you're wrong. Not doing anything about it now. But death, it, not even death is a limiting factor for Jesus. But we have this carnal mind that always takes inventory of the natural. You know, I, I'm, I'm just done consulting natural realities when God tells me to do something. I'm done with that. Go buy this. Well, let me check my bank account first, God. You think he knows what's in your bank account? Do you think he knows that? Go start this. Well, I've, I've never done that before. Oh, come on. Being Moses at the burning bush, consulting natural limitations. I mean, God got angry. And I don't know about you. I wouldn't be arguing with a burning bush that's not burning. This is literal fire that's happening right now. It, it, can, it can only get worse from here. If he lit that thing on fire and it's not burning, I'm not arguing that. Yes, God, okay. What is God limited by? And he said, my, if I can use this word, unlimitations ought to be yours. Don't live life with limitations. From this point on, money's never a limiting factor. Education's never a limiting factor. Knowledge and expertise, never a limiting factor. I've never raised kids. I'm, you're being called to foster them. I, I, I've never fostered kids. Don't let that be a limiting factor. I've never run a business. Don't let that be a limiting factor. I'm serious. All, when you live in life in the spirit, all the limitations come off. It's the most freeing thing you could ever do. There's so much liberty. There's so much liberty. I'm telling you, you want freedom in your life? Get rid of the limitations. Get rid of the barriers. Get rid of the strongholds. Get rid of the things that you think are holding you back. Man, he's calling the church to do some crazy stuff in these last days. And I'm telling you right now. It is not just happening in these four walls. In fact, it, very little of it is going to happen in these four walls. It's time for revival to happen on the outside. Of the, it's time for us to stop having these little shows and these little gimmicks and these little tricks and these little experiences and, and do nothing with it. It's time to get beyond, take it to the streets, man. Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know what the uttermost is, but I want to go there. I've never been to the uttermost, but I want to go to the uttermost. I don't know if you can find it on a map or what, but I'm going. We're going to the end of this thing. We are taking the gospel, taking the kingdom with us everywhere we go. That, you know, I, I just, on, on this, one more thought on this point. <laughs> I think the enemy loves when he keeps us small-minded. I think, I think he just gets such a kick out of that. Look at them. They don't think they can do it. They don't think they can buy it. 
They don't think they can go there. I mean, start getting dreams of the impossible. Start seeing stuff that nobody's ever done. You know, I, I just think that the enemy was just rolling on the floor laughing when 10 spies come back from a promised land that God already told them was theirs. And they literally, they did his work for him. The devil's not even doing nothing. He's just standing in the corner laughing at them. Y'all are talking yourselves out of this with your small-minded thinking that you can't take the land and this is too big and that's too great. And there's too many of them and this is too much. Small-minded thinking. I, I'm just, I speak against small-minded thinking. It's time to enlarge our territory, and you'll never enlarge your territory until you enlarge your thinking. Think big. Think big. There is no limitations with God. I don't think I even said that grammatically correct. I look over at my English teacher. <laughs> there is no limitations. It's probably there are no limitations with God. That better, that got, that got him. Okay. Got my amen corner looking at me. I ain't giving you amen, Pastor, until you say it right. The heresy and doctrinal mess over there. Hallelujah. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I'll stop right there. Those who are in the flesh, in the flesh. Again, we're not just talking sin. Yes, sin and sinful activity and fleshly desires. Yes, that's what that's that's part of it. But but I'm telling you right, you're not going to please God if we live within the limitations and the confines of what this world gives us. We're not pleasing him. How's he pleased? When we use faith to access heaven and bring it to this realm. Just as it is in heaven. May your kingdom manifest. May your rule be on display. May, may our world be a reflection of your world. I hope this is challenging you. I hope this, this is, this is, you know, waking us up even. This is just getting, you know, just getting us fired up for what to believe for and what to stand for and what to believe that God can do. God is so limited many times. You want to talk about what he, what he is limited by? He's limited by small-minded thinking. Of all the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the storms that were stopped and the dead that were raised and the sick that were healed and, and the demons that were cast out and, and the darkness that was pushed back, you know what limited Jesus? Thinking. Small-minded thinking. Pharisees that couldn't even reconcile how a child born in a manger didn't even have a hotel room, didn't even have a, a decent place to give birth, could be the king and the Messiah and the anointed one by which they believed was coming. The very thing that they were believing for was standing right in front of them, and they couldn't reconcile the method that God used and the limitations of humanity and say, oh, there's, there's no way. And are we going to do the same thing? Are we going to stand in the face of miracles, stand in the face of signs and wonders, stand in the face of God literally orchestrating and moving in the earth and still deny that heaven can invade this realm? I'll leave you with this. I said this a few weeks ago. A repentant heart makes way for a renewed mind. A renewed mind makes way for a revived church. 
You want to see revival? Renew this first. Get rid of small thinking. Revival doesn't happen in the confines of our natural comprehension and our cognitive capacity to understand what's going on. Revival happens beyond that. A revived church makes way for a restored kingdom. And a restored kingdom transforms everything it comes into contact with. Everything you come into contact with should be different after than it was before. It should look different. It should act different. It should feel different. It should be different. It should behave different. It should respond different. There is a conversion that needs to take place. There's a transformation that needs to take place. Not just within us, but all around us. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You know how many churches pray that every day? Every day religiously and don't even know the capacity of power that it contains. Father, tonight we open our eyes and we become fully aware by your spirit that there is a realm a spiritual place that you desire to impact and invade the realm that we are in. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website, at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.